uh, Tony prayerfully uh, chooses his songs, and uh, if you'll look inside your bulletin, you'll see a list of those songs and the titles, and I think uh, if you'll reflect back on those, you'll find that uh, we've already preached my message in one uh, way already. We've spoken to each other in songs, and the songs that we've been uh, singing have been powerful, and they speak directly to the focus that we have this morning. I hope you have a happy new year. I know it's a little chilly, uh, although some are already fanning in here because they're hot. So uh, I don't know where the hot spots are and the cool spots are yet, but I assume you guys do. But I'm glad you're here on this cool, crisp uh, January 8th morning as we get started on a new year. Uh, I'm excited because we're going to do a short little series uh, for a couple of weeks on Sunday mornings, and I hope you're blessed by that series as we look at a couple of uh, forgotten stories in the uh, scriptures that I think will be a blessing and a challenge to us. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles and mark Second Chronicles 21. I've got a little stuff I'm going to talk to you about, so I'll give you time to find Second Chronicles 21, and then mark that. I would use the outline that you have in your bulletin, a little short outline with some reflection and discussion questions uh, that I hope you find helpful, and then turn your Bible to Matthew 1.8, Matthew 1.8. We'll be looking at that in just a second. So 2 Chronicles 21, and we're going to begin first with uh, Matthew 1.8. Inside most of us, there's this attraction to superheroes, and it's kind of ebbed and flowed. I've lived long enough to live through several different versions of Batman, Superman, uh, the Incredible Hulk, all those things. But ever since I was a little boy, I was attracted to superheroes. And, And there's something about an ordinary person that in the moment is made extraordinary and does amazing things to help solve some of the world's biggest problems or take down some of the world's worst villains. But rather than feeling like this bunch, most of us instead feel more like my clicker is not working, so punch the, there we go. We feel more like this bunch, don't we? We feel more like the supporting cast of a Where's Waldo. Uh, The ordinary folks that are not known, that don't have extraordinary things that they feel like they do. And yet, into the middle of that, God comes with his Holy Spirit. And I was so excited to talk to somebody this morning who said, you know, I've been doing what you suggested we do a couple of weeks ago. It's just ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. And he said, it's amazing because I, I believe God is at work helping us in ways that sometimes we don't ever know. And when God steps in, he makes ordinary people extraordinary the problem is is we don't think we're one of those people that matters so we're going to look at some forgotten stories that really are stories about eternal difference makers if we look at the bible we find heroes in some of the most unexpected places and in the middle of those unexpected places are interesting stories, interesting sets of situations. 
Today I want to tell you about a lady that most of you have never heard of. And I know that because I already asked some of you and you kind of give me that look like, who in the world is she? Is that really in the Bible? And I'm going to tell you why we don't know her. Because most of our Old Testament knowledge came from when we were kids, right? In Sunday school. And if we didn't get it then, we probably don't have it. And instead of knowing about her, we know about Joash. Anybody remember Joash? The seven-year-old boy king. But we don't know about how he got to be king, most of us. So this morning, we want to talk about filling the gap using this lady as an example. Now, let me tell you what the gap is. Let's turn to Matthew 1.8, and I'm going to just read the stuff that we normally speed read, the begats. All right, Matthew 1.8. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram, and Jehoram the father of Uzziah. Now, that seems pretty straightforward, but one of the things we know about biblical genealogies is that they often skip generations. And between Jehoram and Uzziah, there are three very important gappers, folks that fill in this gap. The first is Ahaziah, and Ahaziah was Jehoram's son. Then there's Athaliah, and she was the queen mother. Now, I want you to help me out. When I say Athaliah, I want everybody to go boo, all right? Athaliah. You got it. Now, I want you to stay tuned because you're going to get to say boo a bunch because this is one. She makes Jezebel look like a beginner. I'm serious as a heart attack. She is one evil woman. She's Ahaziah's mom. And then after Athaliah, see, you got you sleeping now. Too early to doze off in the sermon. All right, some of you are already reaching for your coffee and your Dr. Pepper. I know some of you don't. It just looks like a coffee cup, okay? Athaliah goes away. There you go. And Joash becomes king at seven years old. But how in the world does all this happen? Well, I want us to look in our Bibles. So this is where we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 21, and we're going to begin with verse 4. 2 Chronicles 21 and verse 4. When Jehoram established himself further uh, firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the officials of Israel. Jehoram is a bloodthirsty king. He wants no rivals. And that's going to be epidemic during this historical time period. So what he does is he gets rid of all of his brothers because none of them can become king. He's thinning out the legitimate line of David that can become king, so only he has power. Now, how did the people and how did God feel about this? We'll skip down to verses 18 through 20, and you hear about his epitaph. After all this, the Lord afflicted Jehoram with an incurable disease of the bowels. In the course of time, at the end of his second year, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great pain. 
his people made no funeral fire in his honor as they had for his predecessors. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret. (laughs) I love the honesty of the scriptures. Okay? At first I thought a junior high or middle school kid wrote this story because it's bloodthirsty and gory and gross. But he passed away to no one's regret, and he was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the king. So he's killed off all his brothers and some of the officials, and then he dies of this horrible disease because he's such an evil, wicked man. In fact, Elijah had told him this would happen to him. But that set the stage for some bad stuff to happen. Skip down to chapter 22, verse 1. The people of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, Jehorah's youngest son, king in his place, since the raiders who came with the Arabs into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. So we get Ahaziah that steps in. Now, you have a hint what happened, but skip down to verses 8 and 9. While Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the officials of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's relatives who had been attending Ahaziah, and he killed them. So Jehoram kills all of his rival brothers. Jehu comes along and kills all of Jehoram's brothers and all of his relatives. He then went in search of Ahaziah, and his men captured him while he was hiding in Samaria. He was brought to Jehu and put to death, and they buried him. So, off go Ahaziah and most of his brothers. And he's a young guy. He doesn't have many kids. Now, I want you to gather in the effect. There's been blood slaughter all throughout the house of David, dwindling down to a smaller and smaller and smaller number, those who have rightful inheritance to the throne of David. What's so big about that? Well, if we lose the Davidic line, we lose Jesus. If we lose the Davidic line, we lose God's promise to have someone from the house of David rule eternally. All of God's promises are getting dwindled down by bloodthirsty, evil, wicked people. And then you have the worst of the worst. Verse 10. When Athaliah... Come on. When Athaliah... All right, we got it. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, now you're going to understand why there's a boo. She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of Judah. She was killing her nephews and nieces and grandchildren and children so that she could have power. Athaliah is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. You missed the boo on Athaliah. Snuck it in pretty fast. So she is wicked and evil, and she is destroying anyone related to David that has 
a right to the throne because she, as queen mother, wants to rule. She's slaughtering people. She's terrible. And that's where our story gets interesting. Turn to 2 Chronicles 23, verse 12. And this is the end of Athaliah. All right, if you're in middle school, you're going to love this. I'm just going to tell you. When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and cheering the king, seven-year-old Joash, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. And she looked, and there was this little boy who was king standing by his pillar at the entrance of the temple. The officers and the trumpeteers were beside the king. And all the people were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and the musicians with all their instruments were leading the praises. Then Athaliah tore her robes and shouted, Treason! Treason! Okay, they're in the temple of God. All this wild stuff is going on. And Athaliah is going crazy. All right. Verse 14. Jehoiada... The priest sent out commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops. And he said to them, bring her out between the ranks. In other words, I want her surrounded. And put to sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said, do not put her to death at the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the entrance of the horse gate on the palace grounds. And there they put her to death. The horse gate was the entrance into the covered stables for the royal palace. Now, I know we have some horse people here. Now we have a vet in the back corner. So when horses are kept in enclosed stables, what happens at the gate right after they leave the covered area or before they go into the covered area? All the Israelites knew this. What happens? That's where they defecate and urinate. That's the nicest way I know to say it. So basically, what the Holy Spirit is saying is, this evil Athaliah was killed and her blood was spilled in the mud, in the pee, in the poo of the horses that entered the palace. And everybody knew what that meant. She got what she deserved. You remember her daddy died. And the dogs came and licked the blood out of his chariot. And his, her mother was thrown out of the window and destroyed on the ground, the pavement. These are evil, wicked people that came to evil ends. And we kind of want to go, ooh, this is a little gross for church. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know this is what happened to her because she was threatening God's promise. But for God to defend his promise, he has to have some help, some partnership. Why so harsh and nasty a death? Well, we've seen. She's done evil things. She's tried to wipe out anybody that is legitimate. Here's a woman that will kill her own grandkids, her own nephews and nieces, her own daughters. 
She was so bloodthirsty for power. So, who's going to help save the day? In steps someone you may not know. Let's go back to 22.10 and we'll pick up the story. When Athaliah, come on now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. Now here's some important words. But Jehoshaphat. Or you may know her as Jehoshabeth. Any of you heard of her before? Jehoshabeth? Few folks have, but not most. And she's the hero of the story. Let's read these few verses. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. This bedroom was in the temple. Because of Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister. She hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. And he remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. Jehoshaphat, married to the high priest, is the auntie of Joash. He's just a baby, defenseless. She hears about the slaughter. She sneaks into the palace. She steals the child and the nurse, hides him in a bedroom, brings him to the temple for protection. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens if she gets caught? There's no doubt, is there? Here's this evil queen that's ready to slaughter anybody that would rival her power on the throne. And here is this other woman in the midst of an ungodly time in Israel that is committed to honor God. We see that in her marriage to the high priest and is willing to take any risk imaginable to protect the royal line of David. Now, This is what she did. She snuck in and she basically kidnapped baby Joash. Then she and her husband, Jehoiada, hid Joash in the temple until he was seven. Jehoiada made sure anybody going off duty stayed in Jerusalem. He called in the guys that worked at the temple in the summer. He brought everybody in so that they could perform a coup d'etat and overthrow this evil, evil queen. Sound like a TV show you may have heard about? This is wild, crazy stuff. And not only was her life on the line, but there's a reason why this is so important. Because without her courage, 
without her initiative, all the things that we were touched with in the communion devotional today about what Jesus did to buy our freedom and the cost that he paid, none of that would have been happening. If this son, Joash, had died, there would be no Jesus because God's promise of a Davidic heir could not have happened. One lady, one opportunity at a critical time in history, and she steps in. Now, why is that such a big deal for you and me? Because Satan wants us to feel like we're just the supporting cast of a Where's Waldo puzzle. We're not that important. Somebody's looking for Waldo. They're not looking for us. We're just the mess, the confusion, the distortion that keeps people from finding the really important guy. To say it a different way, Satan wants to tell you and tell me that our private choices don't matter. It doesn't matter how many times people say, we really know who we are by what we do when we think no one's looking. Satan wants us to think that our private choices don't matter, that we're not that important. But you and me, each of us has a gap to fill. We have a place in our family. We have a place in our church. You have a place in your church neighborhood. Because most of y'all sit in the same place every week, I know. I have a preacher affliction, and that preacher affliction has, even when I had four services, I'd get in that twilight sleep, you know, that you sometimes get in, about to go to sleep, and you, you know, and you have that electrical charge, and you wake up, and it just drives you crazy because you're ready to snooze, except on Sunday nights for years, I would do that, and I would have people pop in my brain because they weren't in where the place they were supposed to sit every week. And I knew that they weren't coming. And so I'd call elders and say, we got to go check on this person. I kept uh, going all the way back to a Palm Pilot. I kept one beside my bed so on Sunday night I could write down or type in the names of people that occurred to me in that moment. We have a gap to fill. And if we don't fill that gap, it's not going get, to get filled. And we don't know the eternal difference that our little private choices can make on anybody else that's around us, that influences us. What would have happened to the kids in Honduras if somebody hadn't said, I believe God's calling us to step into this gap? What would happen to the hundreds of people that are coming to Christ in Ghana if a few people hadn't believed God had called them to step into the gap. And you can, you can do that with local ministries. What would have happened to this young man or this young woman if somebody hadn't stepped into the youth program and been a sponsor and gone on some things or taken them to camp and done some things to influence their life at a critical moment? And not only does it change them, but it changes everybody that comes after them and their line. We each have a gap to fill. So, whether we know it or not, 
God has a place for us, not in the Where's Waldo picture, but in the superhero picture. This morning, we're talking about Jehoshaphat. But we're really talking about you. There are those moments where the Holy Spirit prompts you to step in. And I'm asking you to take it seriously. To believe it's true. We're about out of time. And I'm not going to take you to the scripture, but I'm going to tell it to you. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And this is true of everybody in here. Whether you're raised by your biological family or you're in an adoptive family. Or you're in a foster family. And I share that because I have, I have grandsons that came to us from foster care that are now our grandsons. I tell them the same thing. Before your mother felt you as a flutter in her womb, God's fingerprints were already on you. When you were yet unseen, Psalm 139 says, God was making you. Before anybody knew that you were in your mother's body, He had a plan and a purpose for you to play in life that nobody else can play. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made to fill a gap. If you and I, we don't step into our gap, who knows what will happen. I've told you about my dad and his best friend that bled to death in his own arms after a car wreck a friend that was waiting to be baptized the same time my dad was with another buddy. And they kept waiting for my dad to be baptized. He was the linchpin. And my dad wasn't before he lost his friend. My dad lived under the weight of that because he didn't step into that gap. So he spent his short life stepping into the gap of lives of teenagers and college students. Never a paid minister. He was too wild man for that. He told everybody that. I'm too wild. I, elders would never put up with me if I was on, on paid staff, so they can't fire me because I'm just a member. But we lived in Abilene for a short while growing up, and he baptized over 300 people in Abilene. I don't know how many before that in other places when we lived in Conroe, when Conroe was more cut and shoot than it was Houston. So he stepped into that gap. So the thing I want to ask you, I want to implore you, is that as you look at your life, ask, Holy Spirit, what is Jesus calling me to do? And when he knocks on the door, answer. It's scary. But you don't have Queen Athaliah Come on. You don't have Queen Athaliah. All right. We finally get a little piping up from over here. I'm hearing it all in mono over here. That's probably because I hear better out of this ear than this one. We don't have that evil queen breathing down our neck. But we do have Satan whispering in our ear. It really doesn't matter. Because you don't make that big a difference. But that's a lie. 
And when we share in the wedding supper of the Lamb and the Bride, His church, you want to sit down at the table with people that you don't know. Some of them from Africa. Some of them from Honduras. Some of them from South Longview who made it to that feast because you stepped in the gap. You want to be there with some young men and young women that stepped up and did great things for the kingdom of God, not because they were paid to be a minister, but because they felt called by God and because somebody stepped into the gap and taught their class and loved them and introduced them to Jesus or went with them on uh, a wilderness trek or to a, to a camp as a sponsor or as a, a counselor. And at just the right moment when their heart hit that wonderful never-to-be-regained opportunity, they were the one that stepped in the gap. So this morning, I'm challenging you to believe the Holy Spirit and not the lies of Satan. Jehoshaphat is just one who had the courage to step in the gap. We want this to be a church of 500 who step into the gap. And your opportunity to commit to that is to believe what you sing as we stand and sing.